0: Our speaker this hour is Sage Bridges. Sage is a 2016 graduate of the Institute here. He is currently working with the Creekside Church of Christ in Greenville, Texas, formerly the Johnson Street Congregation. He's been married to his wife, Alexis, for eight years, and they have two boys, Carson and Caden. He's worked with congregations in California, Colorado, Arizona, and now Texas, he's doing a great work. uh Have great memories of Sage as a student here, and we're very proud of the work that uh, that he's done since he left here and is doing now. Caden, our Sage, come preach to us. I've always appreciated my brother Donnie. Uh, one thing that we had in common when I was going to sc- school here was the relationship with the Middle Park Church of Christ there and. Uh, Granby uh, Colorado here uh, just up in the Rocky Mountains and I remember a couple of times when uh, when I was tired or something like that he drove me up and he would often have me snoring in the passenger seat and uh, and I always appreciated him for that and uh, I've always appreciated his teaching and, and the impact he's had on my life so I appreciate you brother. Uh, we a lot of times uh, have these different doctrinal questions that come up in the church. And uh, if you ever studied the Bible with folks, a lot of times uh, they want a a specific kind of answer. Uh, And a lot of times what they uh, ask, at least initially, is is to get into the problem directly, meaning if they have a specific doctrinal question, if you will, uh, they want to have the uh, question answered, whether it's uh, doctrinal or some, uh, some form of practice, whatever it is, uh, they want to have the question answered directly, right away. Uh, and that's, that's something that's very common. Now, as our brother Wayne Berger would say, you can uh, take me outside the wall and stone me later for saying this, but I'm, I'm not particularly fond of the phrase, uh, I want to see book chapter verse uh, as to the answer to this doctrinal question. Uh, And I understand what many brethren mean when they say that. What they're saying, or at least what they uh, believe that they're saying, is show me from the Bible what it is that you are proving. Show me uh, that, uh, that Scripture actually validates the conclusion that you're making. And I understand that's what some people mean when they say that. But not everybody, and actually, uh, in my experience, more frequently they mean uh, what that phrase uh, is implying literally, meaning show me book chapter verse of what that is saying, meaning in a few verses or even in one or two verses, give me an answer to this doctrinal question and uh, we look at different things that uh, that are uh, brought up to different members of the church at different times such as uh, for example uh, the, the question of why it is that we partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week and we th- say okay well show me book chapter verse why you partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week and we open our Bible and we say well th- because when we look at this passage it says they partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week uh, they say why does that matter Why does it matter that that they partook of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week? Was it happenstance? Was it something uh, that mattered theologically? And and of course, they they may not be wording it that way, but that's that's kind of what goes through some people's minds. Uh, Why is it that we don't have uh, mechanical instruments in worship? Show me book, chapter, verse, why it is that we don't use mechanical instruments in worship. Well, brethren, if we're going to Ephesians chapter 5 to answer that question, we're not providing a good enough answer. And if we're just going directly to Ephesians chapter 5 with somebody who may know very little or nothing about worship and we say, well, look, it says here to sing, so we sing and, and that's why we do it. Well, so what? Why can't I do it a different way? It's not a good enough answer. We need to go back to the Old Testament and establish some groundwork to actually fully understand The topic. When it comes to prophecy and when it comes to tongues, there are a lot of questions in Christendom about these specific topics. Uh, there are a lot of things in the religious world, uh, uh, as far as the practices are concerned, uh, as far as uh, what people are convicted about is what they, they show, what they demonstrate when these things take place, uh, the existence of them, all these different questions that go on in, in congregations, and they say, we want a simple answer. Well, sometimes it's not that simple. And what we're going to be looking at is the need for growth and, and really the purpose of tongues and prophecy and how it, it fit in this context in 1 Corinthians. Uh, And we're going to talk about that and how it relates to immaturity is going to be mentioned here in this passage. But I'd like to take a moment to just step back and look at the bigger picture so that we can maybe perhaps get a little bit of a fuller understanding of the purpose behind these spiritual gifts. As Brother Donnie introduced to us not long ago, uh, Paul has been talking about uh, spiritual gifts now for a number of chapters, and we're going to continue this discussion. When we talk about or really when we think about immaturity, a lot of times it's associated with uh, negative connotations and, and sometimes rightfully so uh, because immaturity leads to poor decisions and sometimes uh, that can lead to sinful behavior, but it's not always something that is sinful. Uh, sometimes it's just talking about the need for growth, the need to, uh, to learn, the need to mature uh, I, re- I think back just in my own personal life, uh, the, where I started as a Christian. Uh, many of you heard uh, Brother Dustin Campbell speak a, a couple of different times on this lectureship. Uh, he baptized uh, me and my wife, and he married married us. But he also tasked me with my very first sermon, uh, and I remember uh, him tasking me with that sermon. And I was supposed to speak for about 15 minutes, and I believe I stumbled through three and then sat down. <laughs> And I, and I remember him talking to me in the parking lot afterwards, and we were already talking about Bear Valley and those kinds of things, and he said to me, you know what, Sage, maybe preaching's not for you, but we'll keep trying. <laughs> and, 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 you know, to be honest, and, and if Dustin's watching this right now, that, that statement, when he said it, it made me a little angry. <laughs> it made me a little bit self-conscious and all those sorts of things, and I started to question myself, uh, and little did I know he was kind of using some reverse psychology, um, you know, so that I would spend the rest of my life proving him wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> I needed to grow. Meaning everyone has to start somewhere. And when we're looking at different individuals and even sometimes different organizations. We all have to start somewhere. The church needed to start somewhere. People need to start it, it, from point A, wherever that is for a, a specific individual. But in, in my short time uh, as, a, as a member of the church, I, I, I've heard a few lessons about this, but I don't recall very many conversations, very many discussions about how Scripture shows us uh, this progression and sometimes slow progression uh, of maturity, of growth, not just in people but in the revelation and all of those other kinds of things that relate to our spirituality. Uh, the, the things needed to grow and they needed to start somewhere. And even when we go back as far as looking at uh, when humanity itself was in its infancy, uh, you go back to the fall and you see uh, God start to deal with mankind in a new way and you even look at people like, like Job who was an upright and righteous man, uh, and it says in the book of Job that he was uh, unlike anyone else who was upon the earth, and he was someone that God uh, favored and that God loved, and he said, look at my servant Job. Uh, he was a man that was upright and righteous, and he is a, is a person that he was confident that Satan couldn't take down. But as you see the book mature, and as you see it go on, you see towards the end that even though there was no one else like Job upon the earth, he still needed to learn so many things. He still had so much maturity as far as his understanding and his knowledge of God that he needed to take uh, to accept and embrace and make a part of his relationship with God. You think about the people that you admire in your life who are uprighteous up, upright uh, uh, Righteous individuals it Doesn't matter who you are We all need To grow We all need to mature We all need to challenge our thinking Once God makes this Unique covenant with Israel As we continue down throughout to the history of God's uh, Relationship with his people We see them make a unique covenant And, and as you see uh, him make this covenant with them. Uh, you see that, that God reveals more of himself in the law. And you even see Paul recount this in, in Romans chapter 3, uh, where he says that, uh, that, the, that the law brings about knowledge of sin. Uh, and what he's talking about is as God reveals more of himself, as God review, reveals more commandments and things that reveal his nature, uh, there's going to be more knowledge about how we are not like him. There's going to be more knowledge about Uh, things that we still need to learn, things that we still need to grow in. God, in his plan, since the fall, understanding that mankind would fall short, God, in his plan, uh, accounted for this immaturity, this need for growth. And we see that, again, going into this time where he had a relationship with Israel. But then when we come to the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that he spent a great deal of time Uh, speaking to the multitudes, and you read about this in the gospel accounts, how he addressed uh, the multitudes, uh, sometimes hundreds and thousands of people, but we also see an emphasis that sometimes we forget on his uh, teaching to not just the multitudes, but the inner circle, those that he was trying to prepare for ministry when it was that he departed from this world, uh, who were going to continue on with the work, and a lot of times they saw more than what the multitudes saw. They needed to seek out the secrets to the kingdom as as Jesus would teach them in Mark chapter 4. Not so that they uh, could be better than everyone else, but that they would have a better understanding of Jesus and the Messiah and the kingdom to come than the multitudes so that they could then take over the work and lead the multitudes to the kingdom. You see, this, this maturity took a long time. When you look at the apostles and what it took for them to get to where they were when they were writing uh, portions of the New Testament and when they were teaching and when they were prophesying and doing all those kinds of things, sometimes we read it in just a few chapters and think that it happened over uh, a small period of time when it was a number of years. There was a slow progression and God's grace accounted for that. There was a need for growth and maturity, but it took time. You see that this growth, this expectation of individuals was true, but we also see a period of time that Paul addresses here in 1 Corinthians when even the church was in its infancy. When we study in the New Testament, we need not forget the uniqueness of the first century, meaning that there were things that happened during the first century that happened uh, that ha- had never happened before and will never happen again. And, and among those things, and really all-encompassing of those things, is the life and ministry of Jesus. Only in the first century did Jesus humble himself uh, into the flesh and, and talk with people from, uh, face-to-face and see into their hearts and tell them directly what it was that they needed to do differently or what it is that was wrong and in, in accordance with their heart. Uh, never again were you going to see the miracles of Jesus, where he said, uh, is it easier to tell a man to rise up and, and walk, someone who's been crippled their entire life, or is it easier to say, someone, uh, forg- uh, your sins are forgiven, and he makes those connections. He says, I'm the Son of God, I came, and there's a uniqueness to me being here in the flesh. Jesus could do what he wanted with his stuff when he was here in the flesh. We need not forget the uniqueness of the first century. But it was all a part of this need for the church to grow. And just like everything else, the church started at at one point and needed to mature throughout not just Jesus' ministry, but the apostles' ministry. And we see that uh, as a part of what we're going to be studying here in 1 Corinthians. So many things happened in the first century, and we see... Uh, that one of those things that was unique uh, that happened with the apostles is that uh, Jesus said, When I depart, I'm not going to leave you stranded, so I'm going to send you a helper. And we read in places uh, like John chapter 14 and verse 26 that this helper was going to come and bring remembrance to the things uh, that he had taught him in in his ministry, and the church remains in a state of infancy while the apostles are at work. But it is all according to the plan that Paul wrote his epistles to the congregation because they did not have this perfect or complete will of, of God, as he discusses in chapter 13. Thus, need, thus where, where we find the need for spiritual gifts. In Acts chapter 2, when the promised helper filled the room like a mighty rushing wind, this, this prophecy came to fruition where the, the helper came and they began to speak in tongues, as you read in Acts chapter 2. Why is it that they did that? You see, it wasn't just a magic show. It wasn't so that they could display their heightened spirituality. It was for a purpose. It was a strategic chain of events that led to the maturity of the minds of the people who were listening. And, and he spoke in tongues with inten- they spoke in tongues with intentions and with great purpose. Some things that we're going to discuss this evening. Some, th- some though, thought that they were drunk, and others recognized the impossible acts of speaking in tongues as connected. With the prophecies about what he's, he is teaching there in Acts chapter two and verse fourteen, the tongues confirmed this prophecy is from God, and the prophecy revealed the the mystery, which is what we're going to see here in Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, in First Corinthians chapter fourteen. But now the church moves forward, and now it's just the apostles who could, uh, who could. Exhibit these miraculous gifts, and, and not just them as we see it move on, but those in whom they entrusted. Uh, it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 that he longed to go to the church in Rome so that he can part these spiritual gifts upon them to help them, to help them grow and to help them mature. By this time, uh, we went uh, that we find Paul addressing the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through, verse, uh, through chapter 14. He says in, at the beginning of chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I want you to be informed about how to use these tools to your benefit to, so that it actually accomplishes the goal that, I, that God designed them for, that I set out when I imparted them to you, the reason why you have them. So he says in chapter 14 and verse 1, Pursue y- love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy, it continues to say down further in the chapter. However, in the church, I also rather than uh, say, or I, uh, I rather speak five words in my mind, uh, so that I may instruct others. Also, rather than ten thousand words in a tongue, there in chapter fourteen, in verse nineteen. When we're looking at the purpose of tongues and prophecy, it was so that you, we would be able to mature their, our thinking so that they would be able to mature their thinking to build up the church. Throughout this passage, there's, there's that common uh, phrase that repeated over and over again. The reason why you're doing this is to build up the church. But he starts out by, by teaching them uh, about this idea of challenging their thinking. And, and in a general way... We as Christians need to understand the need for challenging our thinking. We never need to be convinced that God doesn't know how ignorant we are without him. God knows how absolutely ignorant we are without him and how helpless we are. So he sent us these gifts, these, uh, or he sent the church, the first century church, these gifts, these spiritual gifts. Uh, aid so that they could challenge their thinking and mature. So we see here in the text that he's going to, there at the beginning of this section, tell them to challenge their thinking. Really, it doesn't matter who we are, how uh, how many degrees we have, how many classes we've taught. No matter what we've accomplished in this life, we still have this need to mature. When I was first uh, looking at going to Bear Valley, I started to talk to this man about uh, Wednesday night classes, and I, I wondered why it was that he wasn't going, and he started to talk to me about how long he had been a Christian uh, and how long he's been studying all those kinds of things, and he, he looked at me and he said, Sage, you know, I just don't think I'm going to learn anything, he says, I've studied the Bible for 40 years. What else is this preacher going to teach me? Brethren, when we... Say statements like that, or we believe that we've arrived and that we no longer need to mature and grow. That is the most immature statement, or leave, at least relatively speaking, one of the most immature statements we can make in accordance with Scripture. We need to mature and we need to grow. And he's going to talk about this and how it relates to the purpose of tongues and the purpose of prophecy. We see the church in Corinth is immature spiritually. But the church at large is in its infancy regarding the lack of revelation, but that doesn't mean that their perspective towards what is available to them doesn't need to mature. Paul says, brethren, there in chapter 14 and verse 20, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature." You see, this verse contains three imperatives, and these commands just jump out at us. And he says, Number one, do not be children. You see, a child is, is a one who thinks and knows and understands. Or, or at least they think they understand uh, that they have this greater picture of the world and that they know everything and that you can't tell them anything, right? A child thinks that they have it all figured out, but he says, do not be children in your thinking, number two, but be infants in evil. So what he's saying is not only are you immature in your thinking, but actually what you're good at and what you're mature in is how to be worldly. <laughs> he says, you, you know how to be sinful, be infants in evil. Evil. I mean, there's some things that you're going to have to unlearn. There's some things that's go- that you're going to have to reconsider in order to follow through with these commandments. And so number, th- number three, he says, mature your thinking. This need for maturity is why they misplaced or why they misunderstood the value of of tongues over prophecy. As, as Brother uh, Donnie said uh, a couple of hours ago, talking about how they, they thought that speaking in tongues was, was the gift that they should aspire to. It was the gift uh, that was flashy. It was the gift that they should pursue above all things. And it seems as though their arrogance got the best of them, but then misplacing this value was because they didn't understand what the purpose of these tools were for and what they should use them for. They needed to see tongues and prophecy the way that God sees them in order to make them useful. So he says, challenge your thinking. These things start in your mind. But he also encourages them or commands them really to challenge their signs or their use of the tools that God gave them. Even though they speak in tongues and it seems as though some had experience in speaking in tongues and uh, in, in really... Uh, Even though they had experience, it's probably relatively new to them. It shouldn't be something that was a brand new concept because he quotes this passage uh, that was uh, brought up out of Isaiah. He says, In the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 21. You see, he says, I, I plan to use this as a tool. He says, this is how they're going to know that I am the Lord. He says, I, I plan to communicate to them in this way, and still, they're going to deny that evidence. Still, it's not going to work, but it should be something that removes any doubt that God was going to be the source of this message to come. They should not have doubted because of the evidence that God provides them. But in a general way, when we... Uh, when we see signs or when we experience signs, and we, of course, can mean different things by, by that word alone, uh, but we uh, we use them to help us to choose to go one way or the other. Uh, when, we, uh, when we see signs driving down the highway, you see signs that... Uh, that try to convince you of what restaurant you should go to. You see signs uh, uh, trying to convince you what lawyer you should use when you get in an accident. You see conv- signs trying to convince you of what direction to go. And, and when you see those signs, you have to make a decision. Okay, I'm going to actually uh, accept this information and make a choice or, uh, uh, to, to uh, ex- uh, embrace what they're saying, or I'm going to reject it. When we see signs in scripture, we understand that that there's this dispensing of information, meaning we need to decide for ourselves really what we're going to do with the message, with the information that's being given to us. And we see these signs being used. And he says that these signs are to help you to make the right choice. Why is it that, that, uh, that tongues and, and prophecies were given not to show off, not to boast in, in things that you are doing as a, as a Christian? It's to show somebody, whether it be yourself uh, uh, or someone else, to be convicted of the message that's being given to them. Knowing that it's not the only message that's being preached in their life. You see, we know that there is pagan influence, there is all kinds of things pulling for their hearts and their minds, and they need to be convicted that what Paul is teaching and what the Corinthian church is teaching is the message that they need to follow. Paul says that these tongues and these prophecies need to be used in this manner. So first Paul starts with the purpose of the sign uh, that tongues provide, he says. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbeliever. He says there in chapter uh, 14, in verse 22. It should know it should really not come to a surprise to us that tongues did have somewhat of an evangelistic purpose. Uh, in mind and it was to show the unbeliever that that what god what the messenger was saying was from god and we see this not just in first corinthians but in other places as well but the word still revealed the mystery of christ there in uh, chapter 14 and verse 2 that that is why if the believers are going to use tongues especially in the worship assembly they need to have an interpreter is he says that this sign is actually more for the believers, the ones who are, or the, I'm sorry, the unbelievers, those who still need to be convicted about the message. The second Paul informs them uh, of this sign that prophecy provides, he says, but prophecy is for a sign, not to the unbelievers, but to those who believe, there in chapter 14 and verse 22. See, when a Christian hears Something that's claimed to be from God. They still had to be... Vigilant, They still had to test what was said, and this is brought up in a number of different places in the New Testament. You see in places uh, uh, like just a, a, a little bit ago there in the book of First uh, Corinthians, there in chapter 12 and verse 3, he says, No one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. So as the Spirit is moving through them and, and allowing them, in enabling them to practice and utilize these signs as a tool, he says that no one is going to be able to say that Jesus is Lord and have a false tongue or be, be false. And he says that this is something that you need to test as, it's being, as this information, as these different principles are being dispensed that, uh, that are supposed to help you grow and mature test them. And he said something similar in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 20. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. So when they test the prophecy, it is confirmed to be true, then they can go ahead and accept it and thus causing it to build up the body of Christ. He says these signs are to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. In the end, both Believers and unbelievers have a sign along with properly a properly communicated message, as Donnie taught us uh, just a little bit ago. If you've ever worked construction or, or really on any project, uh, trying to fix something or trying to prepare something, you, you realize right away that sometimes when you use a tool for anything other than what it was designed for, it can turn out in disaster. There was a time where I was, I was painting a wall and I needed to get... Uh, to the top of a, of a wall where, where I couldn't reach, so I started to stack these old paint buckets. And, and I stacked these up, and I, I stood on them so I could reach the wall, and Donnie's st- sitting there shaking his head at me because he knows what's about to happen. The lid was crushed because I'm like kind of a big dude, and it went through, and, it, and I just got paint everywhere, and it was a big disaster because those buckets were not designed to hold me up. Those buckets were not designed for what I was using it for. Likewise, we try to use duct tape to fix just about everything, right? And sometimes yeah, that, sometimes that doesn't work out the way that we had hoped. In a similar way, because of their misuse of these tools, it was actually doing more harm than good. And what he was trying to teach them is when it's used properly, it's actually a sign uh, for tongues is actually a sign to the unbeliever. It's something that can help them can be convicted about the, the message. And as immature Christians continue to learn and to grow, uh, they can be convicted about a prophecy that was put to the test and confirmed to be true and thus making it a part of their lives and more a part of who God wants them to be. They needed to challenge their tools. They needed to challenge their signs the way that they were using them. Here's where we see Paul's point coming to fruition. The outcome of all their efforts should go or should always be to change the unbeliever and the ungifted. I believe that it would do the church well to remember that the the assembly on the first day of the week is primarily for Christians. Uh, It's primarily for the the building up of the body as we discussed throughout these chapters uh, and we avoid a lot of problems and maybe a lot of, of poor decisions if we, we stopped forgetting that concept. But he says, if someone attends your assembly, if someone joins you, look what he says here in this text. He says, therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, he says, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? There in Verse 23. It says, when someone comes and joins your assembly, there's no reason to unnecessarily turn them away because we are using those tools improperly. Paul has already pointed out to them that speaking in tongues without an interpreter is like playing a lifeless instrument there in verse 14 or chapter 14 and verse 7. But he says, but if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Now when he says that the unbeliever, uh, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, I don't believe that means that he just starts pouring out all of his sins and confessing uh, you know, in a very itemized way all the things that he's done wrong. What he's talking about is the fact that, that the message was properly communicated to him With these tools, and they they supported that message, so in his heart, in his conscience, he better understands what it is that God expects of him. And prophecy in tongues aided them in that goal. It says the result of that is what? He falls on his face, and it works out better. You see, just like what was introduced at the beginning of this book, it's all about souls we need to mature in order to accomplish that the power to convict heart the hearts of people is in the gospel and in the evidence that support the fact that it is from god it is difficult for us to understand spiritual gifts when we don't utilize them today and when it's something that's so far removed and it's something that we no longer need today like i said because of these questions uh... we attach a lot of false answers uh, to try to fill in the gaps, to try to fill in the blanks, but the application is still the same. If the church, through improper use of, of the tools that God gave us, fails to think more critically, fails to challenge their thinking about what is said, about what God has revealed to us, then maturity will never take place. I'm so glad that everyone is, is, who is here is taking the time to learn from these men who have studied, not fruitlessly, but to deliver messages that will help us to be better Christians. Yeah. They'll help us to mature and to grow because that is always the expectation. God accounts for immaturity. God knows that we have to start somewhere. And then it's going to take time for us to learn and to grow. But we need to understand that we cannot remain ignorant, and we need to use his tools wisely. Thank you.